And welcome to Fascinating Nouns. Now, if you are listening to this transmission, we are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now, together we arrive at this curious nexus point, and we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Hello, Fascination. Welcome to the show. So longtime listeners will know about my love for Mr. Stephen King, the horror writer. Now, you'll also know that I've got a podcast, Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies, where I look at pop culture science. Well, what better delicious cookie ice cream sandwich to make than the science of Stephen King. And that's exactly what we're going to get into today with my guest, Meg Hofdahl, who's written a book by that exact same name, The Science of Stephen King. And we're going to look at his entire body of work and discuss all the weird little scientific things that pop up. And let me tell you, there are a bunch. So I'm excited. Let's get right into this with Meg Hofdahl. Meg, thank you so much for being on the show today. Well, you know, here's what's great is I am, I'm actually really excited to talk to you about this because, you know, The Science of Stephen King it's such an interesting topic, especially, I have to imagine, Meg, you know, I'm not telling, I'm not, you know, I'm not spilling tea to the world about your life here, but you're a fiction writer, uh, and this is not necessarily, this isn't, it's like, it's science about fiction, which is, it, it's kind of fun, you got a whole line of books about this, um, when you wrote with a co-author, Kelly Florence, about the science of serial killers, women in horror, science of monsters, uh, so th- I think this this is a pretty interesting thing. There's a lot of science in Stephen King, surprisingly, Meg. Uh, that's what really kind of drew me to this. Yeah, I mean, I think when you hear like science of fiction, um, whether it be a book or a movie or something, it's kind of like, oh, um, it, it's it doesn't seem like they go together because obviously fiction is art um, and maybe we don't want to deconstruct art. But uh, I like the idea that science is so much more than, you know, tearing something apart and looking at the insides It is that too. Um, but it's also like appreciating the hard work that Stephen King and all these authors and filmmakers go through. So yeah, there's a lot to unpack. <laughs> well, I will tell you this, you know, you're, you're a horror expert and horror is about, you know, you got these, these unstoppable monsters and you have to do a little bit of research to stop the monster. Right now. I mm-hmm. don't think you've done your research here, Meg. You haven't done your research on me. So I am the monster here. So you better look out because I have a podcast that all it looks at is the science of pop culture, um, you know, pop culture, <laughs> everything. So, uh, so this is not weird to me. Uh, it's what, what I do. Hey, oh, okay. Well, great. So you're on board. So I don't have to convince you. No, That's you don't great. Have to you don't have to convince I mean, if anything, we're competitors. We're like, we're like, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah, yes, yeah. you are the monster. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I've got my game on now. Okay, I'm ready. I'm All right. Ready. So as the monster here, I'm going to ask you a question yes. that may make you uncomfortable, but then we'll get into some fun <laughs> stuff. But, you know, do okay. you have a background in science? Why should I be listening to you or Kelly <laughs> uh, about the science of Stephen King? You know, show me some bona oh. fides here, Meg. Okay. Um, good question. No, I do not have a background in science. I have a background in film studies, literature, theater. Uh, Kelly is a communication professor. Um, no, we are not scientists, but that's what makes, I think, what we do so great is because um, it's us figuring out the science 
for our readers in a fun and approachable way. So Mm -hmm. it's not coming from, and I say this with all the love in the world, it's not coming from science nerds. I'm married to a doctor, so I love my science nerds. Mm -hmm. But um, it's coming from people who, you know, have a love for horror and want to learn the science just like the readers do. And we're just trying to distill it down. So it's not like this esoteric stuff that um, no one can understand. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you might be the monster. How dare you call me a science nerd? Uh, I know. Unbelievable here, Meg. Well, let's, let's talk about your husband here for a second. Let's put, let's throw him under the bus. And by throwing him under the bus, I mean, let's talk about him. Um, So he's a brewmaster. So he does have a a background (laughs) in biology and chemistry. So did you, lean on him a little bit because there's a lot of weird biology in in the science of Stephen King. I know we did. Yes. So we did interview him because he 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 would love to know that you called him a brewmaster. And I know we said that in the book. Um, (laughs) In our first book, uh, The Science of Monsters, we also interviewed him because um, when we were getting the book together, we were like, oh, who do we know who knows science? And obviously, my husband being a physician, I was like, I'm going to ask him a question. So we asked him questions about um, how a zombie would actually decompose, which was really fun. Yeah. Um, and he took it very seriously. You know, he wrote very, very serious stuff about it. So, yeah, he he was fun. He's fun to. to yeah, of course, I, I went to him first. Now I've expanded, but he was mm. definitely my first. first interview. Well, if he's a physician, I mean, he should know. And I'm actually surprised this hasn't been a setting in one of your books uh, where they, they do have facilities where they take cadavers and just watch them decompose over the course of, of days, weeks, yeah. months and years to figure out what's going on. So that's a little creepy. Might be a good setting. If you make that a part of your book here, Meg, this is a part of the public record. Uh, I will require a mention in the forward. That's all. I can do that for you. Okay. I can do that for you. All right, uh, thank perfect. you. You're welcome. Yeah, warrant. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. So now, we, you know, really quick, are you, is he still brewing? I mean, I imagine consumption oh, went yes. up during the pandemic. So uh, yes, yeah, no, he takes it very, very seriously, and he's he's put in. Um, I think he signed up to put four of his own beers into the Minnesota State Fair this year to be judged. So this is. Oh wow. You know, I told him don't quit his day job, but I think, you know, he's, he he majored in chemistry and he didn't know what he was going to do with it at first. Thankfully, he became a doctor, but um, yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, it's a good hobby. Yeah, if he's a doctor, don't quit your day job for sure. Yeah. Um, no matter how good of a brewmaster you are. Uh, so mm-hmm. I also want to talk about, you have a podcast, you know, if we're, if we're going to yeah. pit each other as rivals, you've got a podcast okay. called The um, the Horror Rewind. So yeah. what exactly do you do here? What What is the topic and, and what are you trying to get across? Well, for Kelly and I, we started it because, well, we love horror, obviously. And the, the sort of rewind was... Our, our first initial experiment was that we were going to watch movies from our childhood because we both grew up loving horror movies and we were going to see if they held up today, especially from like a female point of view or feminist point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of where it began. And now that we are into like year five of it, it's mostly us talking about everything that we've watched recently. And it, that can still be older. Does <laughs> that mean you ran out um, of material? What happened? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, thin, a I, weekly show. Definitely. <laughs> but I think what people like about our show is just us, um, being silly and talking about horror, what sure. we love. And of course, you know, we talk about our books and things on there too, and interesting stuff we like to, to dig into, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's us talking about horror. That's basically essentially what it is. So would you consider yourself an expert in horror? I mean, is that fair to say? I think that's 
fair to say. I mean, I think, yeah, I, I yes, I do. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, you've just fallen right into my trap. So you you don't you don't know much about my interviews. Uh, oh, so no. I, I got a question for you, then, expert in oh, horror. Shoot. In your okay. it chapter, page sixty seven, I could not believe this. If there was a licensing board, Meg, I know. Uh, I, you know what I'm going to say. So yes, you, I hate no. to call you out here, but you talk about boogeymen. Uh, they're right in yes. the zeitgeist. That's for one of my yes. listeners, one of my listeners, Holly. There you go. Um, you talk about yeah. iconic images, Michael Myers yes. in a hockey yes. mask. Yes, I know, I know, I know. Inexcusable. <laughs> I know. Trust me. I had some very, very angry um, horror bros come at me about that. So <laughs> Angry is a little, that's a little I much. Know, I, I mean, know, fake anger is one thing, but real anger is a little silly. No, I got I mean, real anger about that. All right. No, it's funny how it's funny how that passed me, that passed through Kelly, that passed through multiple editors, that passed through. I mean, it's funny how that happens. And once it was out, once it was in print, I know. So, so I don't know. Something tells me I need like a tattoo of what Michael Myers is <laughs> just to really. Get- Going. Well, you know, I, I mean, home. you know this, but it, you know, the mask, the Michael Myers mask is a William Shatner face. I mean, that's, right. and that's a hilarious little piece of trivia. If that's a tattoo, that, you yeah. should do it. So I think maybe I'll just put some misinformation about horror movies on my body and just see what happens. <laughs> Who I annoy. I think that's, I think that's a great idea. Well, and you know, and yes. I have to say you, I love that you took, you took full ownership of it both here and in the book, because you know, you're the, as the co-author, you wrote that section, you take full responsibility for that section. I did. I wrote that section. It was my fault. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> I'm like, Oh my gosh, Kelly, you can, you can, um, you know, fire me as your best friend and co-author, but she, <laughs> she let, it, she let yeah. us slide. She let us slide. All right. Well, that's, that's <laughs> on her for, for the future. She makes the best decisions. Yes. Uh, you know, as yeah. I mentioned, you know, I mentioned that I have a, a show about pop culture science called Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, Gear-Based Technologies. Just like you, I like to promote my own things on my own show. Self-promotion is one of my, uh, one of my hallmarks. Um, and the guy I do it with, Dr. Michael Denon, he's a Stephen King fan, fellow Stephen King fan. He and I love talking Stephen King on the show. It makes a lot of appearances, which is why you're perfect to talk to about this. But part of the fun... Uh, of reading this book, I have to say, my favorite part of reading the book was reading about stories that I've already read. And what I do on my podcast, I try to find those unique angles. What makes, you know, you can only talk about warp speed and lightsabers for so much where it's like, okay, okay, we get it. What are the cool things going on here that people don't talk about? And I think you really nailed it with with a lot of these. You found those cool little crevices and I, I, I really enjoyed it. So it felt like this was a labor of love. So where does your connection with Stephen King come from? I mean, you're a horror writer, so it's got, yeah, I mean, it's not like you never heard of the guy, uh, but how influential was he? Extremely. I um, read Carrie when I was the perfect age. I think I was about 12 or 13, and that was the first book of his I'd read. Of course, I had been, you know, exposed to his movies before that. Um, but for me, Stephen King sort of open this door of storytelling that I hadn't really experienced before. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, I've always wanted to be a writer. I've read voraciously since I was a kid and I would pretend, you know, when I was 10 years old, even before I'd read a book by Stephen King, I would pretend that I was being interviewed and they were calling me the next Stephen King. Um, That was like, that's my, that was like my little fantasy as a kid, you know? So um, that probably says a lot about me, but Uh I, I'm such in awe of 
how he has not only written so much, Mm -hmm. but he's tapped into so many emotions Mm -hmm. of myself and I know millions of people and, um, and he's just a damn good writer. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and and, you know, when I I was in college, I said this quite a bit, but you know, I was in the the hoity toity literature classes. There were people who were very against him and I felt like, Oh, I have to defend him. Um, because he is, he's just a great writer and a great storyteller. And, uh, yeah, so it's a very visceral thing. So, you know, I knew there were particular books that I wanted to focus on that, Mm. that meant something to me, you know, within the book. Right. Well, you definitely get that feeling. See, when I read your books, I don't think of you as the next Stephen King, which I think you could make that argument, but I see you as the first Meg Hoffdahl. I mean, I I don't know where (laughs) you feel about that, but that's, that was my impression. I like that. I like that very much. I've actually said I, I like that even better because um, hopefully maybe someday here's my here's my new dream. All right. Maybe someday a little girl will say, I want to be the next Meg Hoffdahl. Yep. And then she'll be her own person and be exactly do what she does even better. Yeah. And she'll so, say, yeah. screw Meg Hoffdahl. I'm going to be the first yeah. Susanna Boyd. You know, <laughs> it's just exactly. conversation. Yes. Right. All the Susanna Boyds out there. Yes. Exactly. Girl, you can do it. <laughs> well, you know, I love that you said you read Carrie when you were 12 or 13 as being the perfect age. I have to completely disagree because here's why. Here's why. I read it when I was probably 11 or 12, and that is way too early to be reading a Stephen King book. I think I moved on to Pet Cemetery, which became my, my – I think that's probably in my top three Stephen King stories. No kid at 11 or 12 should be reading or watching about the dead coming back from the grave, I don't think. Uh, I saw Phantasm, which is the goofiest horror movie when I was three or four, and it scarred me for life. I'm Uh, so sorry. It's okay, but I'm saying, I think it's a little (laughs) early, but you're disagreeing. You think it's fine to watch horror? Yeah. I mean, I... I think that was perfect because Carrie is kind of going through like similar things. I mean, she was a little bit older, but she's sort of, you know, um, she's not quite of her age. So right. no, for me, that was perfect. And I'm a big believer in like sort of allowing kids to kind of figure out what they're comfortable with. Like I have two boys mm-hmm. and my older son is not as interested in horror movies, but, but on the same note, he loves like going on a roller coaster and he wants it to go upside down 50 times. Mm-hmm. And then my youngest doesn't want to be on a roller coaster, but he's his favorite movies are um, horror movies. So hmm. we're, all, we're all different. That's okay. Yeah. No, it is okay. It is okay. I think <laughs> I was, you know, when you start talking about evil clowns, you can start, get, you know, making kids a little, uh, you know, they spend the rest of their life either wanting to become a serial killer or trying to run away from them. I think if you watch it too early, but I'm making this up. Sure. I'm not a child psychologist. I don't know anything. I mean, you sound what like I know? you know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm definitely pretending out. to be one. That's for sure. But I don't know what I, I'm talking I turned about. Out okay. I turned out okay. <laughs> yeah, you did. All right. So here's one of the things that I, I love about Stephen King books. And, and I want to get your thought on this because I think it kind of plays into your whole book because one of the cool things you do in some ways your book is a weird part of the historical record because you talk about Stephen King books you give it a nice little timeline and your book is broken down into sections based on decades of when he wrote books and I'm curious a how you picked those but also b and this is a bigger question which I should probably wait but I'm not going to which is, I am fascinated with this con- this I, this theory of a combined like Stephen Kingiverse, where you have all of the stories and all of the worlds 
are connected and they're interwoven in a strange way. You know, store, you know, towns are mentioned in other towns and, you know, things kind of cross over. I, I love this idea. Uh, so I'm curious, what do you, let's start with that one first. I think that's the big one. What do you think about that idea? And did that at all influence how you broke the book down? I love that. First of all, his whole universe and how are things connected, I think is absolutely genius. And mm-hmm. it's what makes me love him all the more because you can pick up any book of Stephen King and read it and you're good. You don't need to like, okay, maybe not the gunslinger, but most books you can read and it's like <laughs> right. really good on its own. Yeah. And you don't really need any more before or after that yet. He has these little, I guess you can call them Easter eggs or whatever. Although sometimes there are a lot more than Easter eggs, uh, especially when you get into um, even his latest um, Gwendy book had a lot of, um, dark tower. Mm-hmm. But anyway, you can have these little Easter eggs and oh my gosh, they give me such a thrill when I read them. And I'm like, yeah. I know who that character is. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, that it didn't really influence what books we chose. I think we chose books based on how much we cared about diving deep into them. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, like Lisey's story, um, is not one of his most popular books, but I absolutely love that book. Mm-hmm. So it was right. really more personal. And of course we've had people be like, Oh my gosh, like why didn't you do this book or that book? And of course we could do, you know, 10 more books based on what he's written, but no, that, that didn't come into play as far as choosing. Okay. Well, here's, here's another question before we get into the science here. Have you read the plant story that is halfway done? Though I forget what it's called, but the one he did online is that a my no? no. Is that a no? Oh no. my goodness! Okay, Mm-mm. all right. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay, unless I did it in a research haze and don't remember, but no, I don't think it's so. It's not finished. I was looking. For, I was really looking forward to it. Well, so let's let's start. I want to start where you want to start here, Meg. What is your okay. favorite? King story, not necessarily for the science behind it, but what's the one that, uh, let's have it appear in the book, but we can always go, I'm happy to bebop with you. Yeah. It's not in the book. Um, <laughs> but what, what is your favorite King story? Needful things. Now that is a great one. Definitely. Now I, I, I have to say, before we talk about that, I am so anti-spoiler. So reading this book, I was like, I was okay. like reading my, with like fingers. Cause like, Oh God, don't spoil. Yes. And there's two books yes. that were spoiled for me in this. And it's my fault. It's oh, my no. fault for reading ahead. Um, But one sounds so great. And I'm hoping that in five years I'll forget and I'm going to come back to it. Uh, But Needful Things is one I want to read. So don't tell me anything that will spoil it. I understand the premise, but let's uh, tell me why you like it. And then let's go into some of the science on it. Um, I knew I always liked it. It was one of my favorites. But when I reread it for this to work on this book, it has everything that I love in a Stephen King book all together, which is. Every little thing that you build upon to make a, a great, huge, thick Stephen King book, which are amazing characters, amazing sense of place, a little dash of romance, just the best baddie ever. Um, just the way he goes from character to character and makes you care about every single one. And, and the ability that Stephen King has, and in this book, in particular, to show the absurdity of human beings. Mm-hmm. He has this way of just exposing us and showing how truly silly we are, mm-hmm. yet in this very dark 
subject matter. <laughs> and uh, I, yeah. I think I think he just does that so excellently, excellently yeah. in Needful Things. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. so that's I mean, I, and I lo- I love the premise of of this book just by just by what I've heard. Uh, so let's talk about the science of this. So this is basically where, in a rough sense, you walk into a store. And you can find whatever you find the thing that you want, but there's always a tr- there's right. always a trade off here. So when you were kind of analyzing this book and story, what were the science things that popped out at you um, and that you looked into? Well, um, you know it's funny because you'll kind of start somewhere and then you end up somewhere else. Yeah. But really, what I ended up sort of centering on was the idea the this physical idea of the soul. And that the soul, is it something that can be weighed? Mm -hmm. Is it something that can be proven to exist? Um, I personally am not a religious person. Mm -hmm. um, Don't necessarily believe in an afterlife. So I think for me, you know, and uh, uh, on the opposite side of that, my friend Kelly, who writes um, with Mm -hmm. me, she is a religious person and does believe in an afterlife. So I feel like we would come at it differently. And so... I definitely went in through the, okay, science, let's go science mm-hmm. on this. Um, but then also just kind of the, the notion of the philosophy of it too. And like, are we made up of this sort of essence and the, you know, you can get really into the philosophy of it, which is, I like that too. So it's, there's so many different ways to sort of go about right. it. Um, but the, the whole notion of a soul is fascinating. I completely agree. I mean, I, I loved all of the science and research people did to try to weigh it. And, and I think mm-hmm. you know, it's interesting because as you mentioned, there's two ways to come, come at it, right? There's this, there's the religious philosophical idea that we have a consciousness, we have a personality, there must be something that is unique to us. And it, you know, if you're religious, mm-hmm. it goes to another afterlife and, you know, everything's hunky dory. From a science perspective, you know, th- th- science leaves room for the unexplained, which is what I like, but everything can be explained by science, you know? Uh, And so, you know, to take it in a totally different direction, I mean, I I love the idea of UFOs and some of the stuff that that the the, the army has released shows objects doing things that are impossible by our standards and seem to break the laws of physics, but nothing breaks the laws of physics. We just don't understand it. And I think you can apply that to the soul as well. And I was just having a conversation. Let me think. Mm -hmm. Tell me what we think about this uh, when it comes to the soul. I am a science person. I'm not a religious person. And I think religion has its place. Science has its place. But when it comes to the soul, I believe that our consciousness and this, you know, in one theory is the result of emergent properties. And so in layman's terms, what that means is when a system like your brain becomes sufficiently complex, meaning it has tons of neurons running around, it it gains properties that are not just unique. So each neuron can hold and store memories like that's essentially what they do. But when you have enough of them. And your brain forms, now you have a personality that comes out. And that's 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 called, you know, it, it, that's emergent properties. And I think, from a science standpoint, tell me what you think about this. When it comes to the soul, I think that there's good evidence that that could actually, that a soul doesn't necessarily exist, our consciousness does, and it's this product of emergent properties. What do you think about that? I love it. I think that's, I mean, I think... Yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, I'll have to check with my doctor husband. I'm scared. Yeah, go ahead. No, hey, run it past someone um, who's qualified. I certainly am not. I know. I, yeah. I haven't sent some um, stuff my way but, too. You know, for, for me, yeah, I, I, I personally don't believe in it, that our soul goes on after we die. But this concept that you know our 
Well, like you were just saying about UFOs and that with the physics, it's like just because we can't explain everything yet doesn't mean that science can't explain it. And I think that this concept that we all have this particular personality that's formed from, you know, emerging, um, it's it's hard to wrap our minds around. And Stephen King can write a whole book about people selling their souls. Right, yeah. And we... I mean, and how many movies and, you know, all the things and we're as human beings, we're grappling with this idea. Like, mm. what does this mean? And why, why do we, you know, do we have more souls than an animal, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. There's so many routes to go down. But yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, we probably don't have a soul that comes out of our bodies like those photographers in my book were trying right. to figure yeah, out yeah, yeah. and take pictures <laughs> yeah. of. But, um, but it's, you know, that it's fun to think about. And certainly as more of a skeptic, Mm -hmm. we've had interviews with people like we had, we interviewed an aura photographer, Mm -hmm, right? That's not necessarily something I would be like, oh, this is for sure something I believe in, but we hope with our books to kind of have all sorts of different experiences and voices, yeah. you know? Well, I love that. I mean, look, I, I've astral proje- projection has been a fascination of mine since I was a kid and that the Monroe Institute, I mean, they specialize in that and there's books telling you how to do it. And, you know, the photography gets a mm-hmm. little, I've seen the, some of the classic photography. I don't know if that's accurate, but there, there's something to be said. You know, I mean, there's a line between lucid dreaming or are you act- actually is something, is your essence leaving its body? There, There's these weird little lines mm-hmm. that are drawn, but it's fascinating to think about from a science standpoint. But then in the book needful things the fact that you know you're talking about selling your soul that it has monetary value right that you can you yeah. can trade it for whatever you want and it's it's i mean you know ever you know the you know the faustian deal right i mean ever since you you have these stories go yeah. back into time where while you're on this yep. it's really this cool idea of while you're on this earth do you want to have the things anything that you want in exchange for everything in the future you know, and I think we all kind of yeah. grapple with that. You know, it's 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 like the id versus mm-hmm. the ego, super ego, right? It's like, do we have oh, it yeah. right now, or what does our future look like? Yeah. And I think he captures that, and it's all strangely tied into science. It is. It really is. That's that's a very eloquent way to put it. But yeah, it is. I mean, it is tied into it, and yeah, it's just human nature to be like, well, I want to eat these twelve donuts right now, mm. but how is this going to look in the future? Right. Um, to, you know, put it. <laughs> in a more <laughs> blunt way and so yeah i mean what's more human than that i, I love that the i mean that is a faustian deal though right i mean eating a dozen donuts in one <laughs> yeah. sitting is 100 percent a faustian yeah. deal i mean you know it's not yeah. as serious as selling your soul you will regret it yeah you, you may you may you may not um well yeah, uh, one true. thing so talk about regret here meg one of the things i regret uh is reading it at 11 or 12 years old uh, I mean, it is, but, <laughs> but it is one of my favorites. You know, I'm a big HP Lovecraft. I like the Cthulhu mythos. This is mm. as close, mm-hmm. I think, as Stephen King comes to that. Uh, but there's, mm-hmm. there's some interesting science here. I mean, you know, you mentioned, uh, colrophobia in here, the fear of clowns. Uh, mm-hmm. one of my good friends, mm-hmm. you know, he, he was a clown for a long time. He's in one of the early episodes of Fascinating Downs. Uh, and, and this is a very strange phenomenon, uh, that happens, you know, when, especially babies and young people are unable to distinguish the individual features and it makes people really scary. And when you put paint on it, blunts all that. That's a really interesting way to go with this. What did you think? Yeah. I mean, it's something that, uh, it kind of has to do with the uncanny and something that we dealt with in, um, our book, uh, the science of women in horror, Mm -hmm. where we were kind of talking about, um, there, there seems to be this, 
just general societal fear of little girls, of scary little girls. <laughs> and um, there is kind of, yeah, you're right. There is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and dolls <laughs> sure. um, and things like that. So we kind of got into that in that uh-huh. book. And so, um, and different phobias are very interesting. Um, we, you know, we've covered all a lot. Um, but yeah, I think there's something about a clown that, <laughs> and you know, whether like somebody, it's funny because it's like, you don't need to know who like John Wayne Gacy is, or you don't need to have any information about like a killer clown. You don't know, need to know who Pennywise mm-hmm. is to be a, be terrified of a clown yeah. because there's just something unnatural. It's that uncanny, um, human, but not quite human. Um, and they just, they do things that you can't like really track very well. Right. Like they are doing unexpected things sure. like, you know, all of a sudden squirting you with their like flower on their chest or whatever. Right, yeah. So you just don't know what's coming and it's like all anxiety. So I, I wouldn't say I have that. I mean, but I've certainly seen people who react very poorly to clowns and I get sure. it and there's science behind it. Well, I mean, I don't think the Joker helps much either. Right. I mean, he's <laughs> no, you know, no, uh, but I love the, the uncanny no. Valley is one of those interesting things that um, I, I love. it. It's mostly used with robotics, but I think in, in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. you know, humans who wear a lot of makeup like clowns, I think they fit on that list as well. Um, but yeah, but I, I, you know, I, and I think that the, the terror of this book is really that Pennywise is not just, he's not just a clown. He represents right. every single one of your fears brought to life. Right. And, you know, from a, from a science standpoint, the thought that there's a creature out there that can somehow read your thoughts, you know, I mean, to go back to UFOs, right. for some reason, yeah. I don't know why I can't get away from UFOs here, but, you know, a lot of story, <laughs> Roswell's coming up. I did a great episode on Roswell. And uh-huh. one of the things that's interesting about most UFO stories is that there's telekinesis involved, right? Or not te- telekinesis. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, tele- telepathy. Jeez, get my get my tellies telepathy. right. Um, telepathy. <laughs> but think about another creature being able to read your thoughts. If there's a if there's any science to this at all, I think that's the scary part because we like to keep those fears to ourselves. But if someone could weaponize that against us, that's terrifying. Yeah, it is. I mean, even like think about on such a small scale, but like think about when you maybe were drinking with your friends or something and you're like, Oh, I hate spiders. I can't stand spiders. And then once it comes out of your mouth, like, you know, they're going to use that against you and prank you. Um, but this is like times a million and it's, yeah, this idea that whatever your deepest fear is. And of course in it, you know, King does such a great job of like with the, um, Eddie being sick Mm -hmm. and like his fear of being sick, Mm -hmm. you know, these things that are, you know, cause it's easy if it's like, oh, it's clowns, it's spiders. But I like when he uses the like more, I mean, those really human fears of just dying right, yeah. or um, claustrophobia, whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, I don't know. Stephen King's the best. And he just, he just knows how to scare the poop out of us. Can I <laughs> yeah. swear? Yeah, yeah I wasn't sure, sure, go ahead. Sure, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, he, okay, um, I'll save it okay. for yeah, but, yeah. Um, No, he, he. He, this idea that anyone could read your mind, much less like some sort of swamp monster, mm-hmm. <laughs> which isn't a nice thing to say about it. I, I feel like that creature is 
much better than that. Um, but yeah, that's scary. And and knowing exactly because maybe we don't even know what our ma- main fear is. Well, mine's sharks. Like maybe no, I don't. It's sharks, definitely. No, I no. Absolutely. You think that, but maybe no, it's, it's something that. a lot more deep. No, no. You don't even realize. No, it's that. It's for sure that. It's for sure that. <laughs> okay, it's yeah. sharks. Okay. They're okay. terrifying. Who doesn't want to be you? You want to be caught like alone with a with a gigantic great white? Heck, no, wait, man. That's true. No, that's true. That's fair. Um, did you see Jaws went at an at a, uh, impressionable age, too? No, or? but you're setting me up for another great uh, <laughs> plug here. I did an episode with with uh, yeah. a, um, Walter Wyatt, who wrote, um, he, he was actually had a plane crash, ended up in the ocean, uh, and was had sharks circling him oh while God. he was like stuck in the Bermuda Triangle area, and oh, he wrote, so he, someone wrote a story about that in a Reader's Digest that I read way too early at like seven or eight oh. in a dentist office, yeah. and I just had a fear. Of sh- I mean, I, the th- they explained so well, like him floating around and fighting off sharks for like eight hours, punching Ooh. him in the, f- the nose. Uh, I mean, I, I don't even want to experience that. So, um, no, you know, okay, that's fair. I that's fair. Thank you. I, sharks are pretty bad. I agree. They're awful. Um, well, you, so you mentioned, you know, you mentioned claustrophobia, which is which is an interesting mm-hmm. way. So I want to switch that into claustrophobia with plenty of room to walk around, right? Uh, and that's kind yeah. of the way we, The Shining is kind of set up. I really, mm-hmm. I know that Stephen King hates The Shining, the movie. I think the movie, I mean, you got two like geniuses going at it, right? I mean, you, you got, I, know. You, I mean, so, um, uh, oh, um, so you got Kubrick versus King. Uh, yeah. But, you know, The Shining, the book is 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 great as well. And they and the same themes are, you know, running or living inside of a gigantic hotel uh, that even though you have so much room to run around, that isolation can make you feel claustrophobic in a weird way, and your mind plays tricks on you. And there's a lot of psychology that goes into The Shining. Uh, th- I thought this was yeah. this was a great way from a psychological standpoint. There there is some weird science that can generate these types of results. Yeah. Well, yes, and I agree. By the way, I love both the movie and the book as two separate mm. pieces of genius. separate but equal genius. Um, <laughs> that's right. Um. Yes. Uh, and it's funny because like as a kid, because again, I watched that movie when I was young. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, my gosh, this looks great. I want to live in this hotel like all winter <laughs> by myself. And I still kind of think like maybe that would be nice. Yeah. Like now that I, you know, I'm a mom, I have kids like I would love to just bring a stack of books and go live at the Overlook <laughs> sure. for the winter. But um, that being said, you know, it's funny because it's kind of like it where those ghosts end up getting into his head mm-hmm. and kind of know his greatest weakness, mm-hmm. which is alcoholism, etc. But anyway, yes, there is a science to cabin fever. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that um, I found in my research was, and actually this is book related, um, the two Russians who were on, um, I want to say, yeah, they were in Antarctica. And I found this story about how they were w- with each other. They were alone for a really long time, mm-hmm. you know, Doing their science, and doing one of science. them spoiled, doing their science. One of them, one of them spoiled a book for the other one, uh-huh. and like told him what happened. Yeah. And the guy stabbed him. Yeah, I've heard the story because, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, and it's like, first of all, we get it, you know. But this idea that like being, you know, in this isolated, extreme place. But science doesn't really seem to say, yeah, cabin fever makes you any more um, aggressive. There is no real science that shows like, yes, um, 
you know, that is bound to happen. It, it, I think it has to be this sort of perfect storm. Um, but no one has ever gotten off with a cabin fever. Uh, <laughs> defense. I love that. So, I'd be great if there was one. I will tell you though, yeah. I will tell you the Meg, I mentioned this earlier. Yes. I don't like spoilers at all. I try to avoid them at all costs. I don't even watch yes. movie trailers. If you can believe that. That's wow. where that's where I am on the spoiler spectrum. So would you stab somebody if that was like the last book in the place? I was just getting get, to that. I was just get getting it. to that. Yeah, I, I, I totally understand. Would I? I thank God I've never been put in that situation. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I it's the last book. You're there. I mean, why spoil it unless you're just yeah. being a jerk? And yeah. then you know. I think he's being a jerk. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I think people in this internet age. I think people get away with too much trolling, and there has to be there has to be ramifications for your actions. <laughs> right? You gotta draw the line somewhere, and that is where that guy and the guy lived, so it was okay. It's fine. But um <laughs> it's fine. Uh but you know, it is hard to stay away from spoilers mm-hmm. like I in know. this modern age. I know my husband got Ozark spoiled Ugh. and Ugh. So we haven't even finished watching the last couple of episodes because now he lost his steam, you know. Oh, that's and that's such a that's great show. That shouldn't be spoiled. Yeah, it's really it is. fun. It's oh, amazing. That I, I'll never. For, you know, it's funny. I, I have. Um, I was watching Six Feet Under for a long time, and I was. I had watched it for the full five years. I was coming around like the last three episodes. One of my good friends spoiled that show for me. There's something major that happens. Uh, and I, I still hold a grudge to this day. The show's 20 yeah. years old. Uh, I mean, I was, that's that's yeah. where I am in the pettiness, no, you know? No, I get it. Now I get it. And I'm going to really, I'm going to be careful with my words for the rest of this interview. I don't want to spoil it. Be careful anything. with your words, Meg. They can, they affect people. <laughs> um, but, you know, speaking of being careful with your words, oh, these segues, man, are just coming off yeah. perfectly here. Yeah, uh, so I, I want to talk about Carrie because people definitely were not careful with their words with her. And this is a great show. This is, you know, one you read early on. But, you know, this is kind of an interesting one to me because it has some of the fantastical elements of telekinetic powers and things like that. But... There's been some interesting studies on telekinetic telekinetic things you can do with your mind. You know, my first mm-hmm. episode of Fascinating Nouns was with Dr. Barry Taff, who was the subject for the UCLA parapsychology lab in the 70s. So he was the subject oh, wow. that they were studying who had some of these um, fantastical powers. Uh, power use powers in, in a strong sense. Um, but, you know, some of these abilities that people would study and say, how, how are you doing these types of things? You know, um, there's 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 a there's a lot of work on this. It's interesting. I don't know if we've cracked telekinesis, but there's something going yeah. on with the mind here that I think even the government was interested in for a long time. Oh, for sure. Um, it's funny. We're talking about being careful. I talk about MK Ultra in our book, um, which, you know, is a very real um, government thing that happened um, where they were studying people. And I did a few videos about MK Ultra on TikTok and they got taken down. Really? And so I'm like, ooh, ooh. Um, so, yeah, be careful about what I say. But yes, there does seem to be, just like UFOs, there seems to be very much government interest. And, you know, the Institute is a great um, Stephen King book that goes into that. And even, you know, Carrie is such a you feel as though she could have just gotten this, this sort of, it's condition a weird word, but she mm-hmm. might've gotten this condition like just naturally, or, sure. I mean, it, there's never really an explanation, which I really like. Um, the Institute careful, on the other careful. end. I want to read that. That's I, on my okay, list. I'm careful. Not, just tread like, I'm not, I'm not going to spoil it, but it's very much more like government trying to sort of figure out how they 
can, you know, use this to their, to their advantage. Um, so I feel like it's sort of, and of course, Firestarter has very similar, um, um, subjects as well. So Stephen King, that's kind of what I love too about this book is I got to learn a lot about his biography and we write it in the way that we're doing it, you know, from Mm -hmm. sort of the beginning of his career, at least novel writing career until now. And like seeing, sort of how he touches on these subjects. Yeah. And this is something that is very much interesting to him. And I really, when I did research for Carrie and the Institute, um, Firestarter, I found some really sort of sad, depressing stories about people who um, were used as uh, test subjects. Um, it's it's a really, people don't realize um, people's lives were ruined and um, uh, they were greatly affected. So it's a, uh, it's a fascinating thing, but when you get into the science of it, it, it's, it's quite heavy. Absolutely. Well, I mean, again, you set me up perfectly here because I did an entire episode on MK ultra, um, with, with probably one of the best researched books on MK ultra. Uh, and, and you're right. I mean, it was basically the, the whole thing was using LSD to try to figure out mind control and drugging people, you know, without their knowledge, uh, incredible yeah. doses of LSD and it ruined their lives. I mean, when you look at like, yeah. um, you know, stranger things, especially season four, no mm-hmm. spoilers, but there was, you know, it takes place in the Hawking's Institute and there's, you know, kids with abilities and they're trying to get them to be able to do things. Right. And so it's, it's, it, this is out there and, and it's real and you're and the government was totally interested in this stuff. And it's really crazy when you think about it. It is. I mean, it, it's fascinating to think of the money that was spent on trying to, you know, use people who might have this ability as a weapon, um, you know, and, and sort of the, the morality of that plus just, yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. And it's fascinating to think that these things that seem like they're not real, mm-hmm. um, the government certainly seems to think that they could be real. So then that kind of makes you think, well, gee, maybe they are real after all. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it, it's kind of fascinating. Well, some of those, some of those, especially during the cold war, were strange, uh, I don't want to say echo chambers, but they were, um, uh, (laughs) it's like the Russians were looking into something and we're like, well, if the Russians are looking into it, we need to look into it. And then because we were looking into it, the Russians were really thinking like, does, they were really asking question, is this real? And then like, oh, the Americans are looking into it. Oh, we have to look into it now. Right. (laughs) And so it creates this cycle. Uh, so I think a lot of it was, was, was hokum, but there were some interesting things here. And you know, the thing I love about your book, speaking of interesting things, is you have these really cool like side notes that that I thought were, were yeah. great. So in the carry section, you have a side note that says vicarious menstruation, which is where you bleed from yeah. other organs besides your uterus. Yeah, what? <laughs> I know. Isn't being a woman fine? I, I, I don't know, but um, it doesn't seem yeah. seems crazy. Yeah, we um we come yeah, we definitely obviously talk about menstruation in the chapter about Carrie yeah. because that is a profound part of sure. it and uh, the sort of coming of age story. Uh but yeah, there's always just fun, disgusting, interesting, fascinating things that we find and uh you just get that little feeling when you know, oh, this has got to be a sidebar because yeah. this is really Weird. Yeah, it's it's related. Uh, uh, the, the other one that's in the same carry section is you have this side note about Hacken uh, Forwald, who is a Swedish engineer uh, that was talking about gravitational fields being mentally being you be able to mentally excite atoms uh, of an object. Uh, this is I thought that was really it's just fun to see the um, 
the evolution of, of scientific thought, where we are now and like what people thought back then. Uh, but what's interesting about the, the hack on Forwald is I don't want people to confuse him. There's an engineer who was in, I think, the early 1900s. And then there's a current neo-Nazi named Harkon Forwald. Um, oh. Yeah, who leads a, a Norwegian neo-Nazi far right party. Oh. So careful with your Whoa. Internet search. Um, but yeah, uh, be careful. My goodness, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah I, I, uh, I, I fell in there. You also talk about the history of the tampon, um, including underwear yeah. that was like a device with washable pads, which is yeah. very, very, uh, that, that evolution of technology is interesting too. Yes. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, yeah, we, we get into all of it. I mean, we, we certainly like to have a female lens of everything that we write about, and we're not afraid to talk about, um, yeah, the evolution of the tampon. So, uh, in fact, I was just talking to my stepmother-in-law. She was she was telling me all sorts of horror stories. Uh, so I'm glad I live now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully a few, maybe a future book. We'll see the uh, horrors of menstruation. Yeah, yeah, you never know. Well, and the other, the last one, I, I thought the Carrie uh, chapter was just filled with these with these great little side notes. As you talk about how the first calendar on Earth may have been created by a woman, uh, the Ashango bone tracked menstrual cycles around twenty five thousand years BCE, uh, which is I think it was yeah. like marks on a on a bone or whatever. That's crazy, but y- y- hey, y- there were no apps, there were no trackers, you know, a- nope. no digital technology. It makes total. Yeah, it makes total sense. And I mean, if you think about um, the the reality of women at that time, it's not like they had tampons. So they were um, in a situation where that would very much affect their lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, they they I mean, leave it to a woman to create the calendar. Right. I mean, you know, got to keep everyone organized. Right. Most women I know are extraordinarily yep. organized and paint with a broad brush here. Uh, but it all goes no, back to fair. the bone. It all goes okay. back to the bone. Yeah, uh, yes. <laughs> so I want to talk about, you know, when we're, we're looking at calendars here, I'm, I'm just, I'm segueing along here. We're talking about calendars here. I love your segue. Because uh, calendars are a really interesting way to look at history and to look at time. And probably, you know, I, I say my favorite a lot. Uh, I've got people call me out on that, but I got a lot of favorites. I like a lot of things, Meg. But Stephen yeah. King, one of his later books that I absolutely loved, and from a scientific perspective, is so great. And that's 112263. Yeah. Where basically a, a guy figures out he can walk into a, a, a closet and end up in, like, I think it's 1958 or something like that. And he gets the idea to go yeah. stop the JFK assassination. That's the general premise. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's a it's a 12-hour miniseries and it's a 1,200-page book. There's a lot mm-hmm. that goes on here. Yeah. Um, but this, yes. this, you know, this is a time travel book that's got quantum theory, mm-hmm. multiverse, yeah. string theory all yeah. over it. Heavy science yeah. here. How'd you approach yeah. it? Yeah, so um, we right when we began our whole science of series, we knew that we we didn't want to get down so far into minutia that we were, you know, because if we did that, then we would literally write an entire book called the Science of Eleven Twenty Two. Right? Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. So for for us, um, for us, it's really about picking and choosing the things that we feel will give people kind of a thread. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of somebody reading about, you know, the quantum theory and all of that and, uh, you know, parallel universes, all those, all these different things that I can't, you know, put, I, I can't actually explain all in one chapter, mm-hmm. but I love that people can pull these threads and, you know, Google, Google it. I mean, we live in, a, in an age where you can do that now and you can find a book at the library so easily, or you can order a book and it's there in prime in two days. Right. So I love that we're kind of setting people up 
for, oh my gosh, you should go down this rabbit hole. And so, and sometimes we do get to kind of really explain something thoroughly, but for time travel, um, we knew that was not going to happen. So Kelly is a huge uh, JFK um, enthusiast, I guess the the whole um, conspiracy theory. She loves all of mm-hmm. it, and so she knew that this was going to be her book, and so she wanted to make sure to also have the things that she finds fascinating within that the the whole conspiracy theory and his the history of it and how it's changed the world and all of this, um, while also tackling time travel, which. Mm-hmm. Um, is not an easy task, but we, we, like I said, we just try to take the the little tidbits that we can and sort of push people and say, now go get a degree in time travel. Mm-hmm. Well, here's what I, I mean. I think that's great. I, you know, I'm into all sorts of different topics. Uh, you know, f- listeners of the show will know that my interests are a wide spectrum, but the JFK assassination is not something I've looked at, but there's always been something kind of fishy about it. And I have to say, I did not expect no no uh, insult to you or Kelly, but I did not expect this book to affect my thinking on the JFK assassination, and it oh. really did. The magic bullet, which I which oh. I'd always heard about, and it being crazy in the Seinfeld episode. But when you break down yeah. what they say happened, th- the yeah. science behind that does not hold up. Right? That story doesn't make any sense. No, no. If you if you I mean if you have any I mean you really only need a really rudimentary idea of physics. Mm-hmm. I mean, really to look at it and go, Oh, something's wrong. Yeah. So yeah, I'm glad see, I'm going to tell Kelly, she's going to be so do. happy that, um, that we, we got you thinking you about did 100%. it. That's great. Yeah. I mean, and even just, a, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's all crazy. And to think, you know, to go down a conspiracy store, a conspiracy, uh, Jesus, I can't even say it. Conspiratorial mindset is when yeah. you start looking at the magic bullet, you say to yourself, well, this is the government's official explanation. Why is it so yeah. weird? Why do they have to Why make this it? so yeah. weird? Because what don't they want yeah. you to know? Uh, exactly. that was crazy. Um, but, but, you know, so that's part of what you tackle in this chapter. The other thing that I think is often overlooked with time travel and on my show, uh, fascinating gadgets, gizmos, gear-based technologies, we have an enigmatic engineer, Ben Seepser, who always talks about when we talk about time travel, the thing people forget is that you can travel back in in time, but you're also traveling back in space. Space time is one geometric dimension. And so, you know, you can go back. If you don't change your point, the earth is moving. The universe is moving. Everything is moving. So you have to calculate the precise precise location of where you want to go, not only in time, but in space. And this is the only time where he always talks about that. Your book was the only time I've ever seen that in print. Dr. James Hedberg, uh, you quote him as saying that. Uh, And that is that is really important for all our future chrononauts out there. You know, that's very <laughs> extraordinarily important as is the butterfly effect, which is what this yeah. book is about. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, the butterfly effect, because Stephen King existed and he wrote these wonderful books and then <laughs> Kelly and I wrote this book and uh-huh. now we're here and now I'm on the show with exactly. you and if anything I wouldn't be here right now if I had stepped on that butterfly. You wouldn't be the next Meg Hofdahl. You'd still be thinking of yourself as the next no. Stephen King. Uh, none of that right. would have happened if he hadn't written this book back then. Uh that's right. it's, it's important. Isn't that lovely? That's not small. That's yeah. not butterflies may be small, but the butterfly effect in no, no. way is small, Which, Meg. Um, 
No. And, and so this is this is a really interesting way to look at time travel because, you know, I grew up on on Back to the Future and in Back to the Future, a yeah. lot of the time travel stuff, the um, the butterfly effects of that are all positive. And so everything kind of works right. out the way it's supposed right. to for a Hollywood movie. Right. Yeah. Um, but the yeah. real effects of time travel, I think, would be extraordinarily different. And this book really shows that little things, you may try to do one good thing, but no good deed yeah. goes unpunished. And there are divergent storylines <laughs> that can, yeah. you may save JFK, yeah. but you're going to lose your greatest love yeah. in the process, and right? I mean, it's. Yes. Yes. And, and oh, I, oh, go I, ahead. I'm sorry. I got excited. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I love one of them is like he gets food poisoning huh. and he's like stuck on the toilet for the longest <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. That always stuck in my yeah. head because it's like, it's such a small little thing that happens in life yeah. and how it like profoundly affects everything yeah. so yeah it's fascinating and also if you've ever read the langoliers um that's another interesting time travel kind of book that he did that well novella i guess but anyway that 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 always kind of blew my mind too i, I think it's great well this what's unique to this story which i don't think I, i'm i love time travel i wouldn't consider myself a time travel story expert but i do love time travel stories but 11 i think is one of the only time travel stories where time itself is almost working against you like there is there's almost like a, a way things are supposed to go and time is trying yeah. to make them go that way. And you can fight against yeah. it, but it is an uphill battle in time. You know, time works with luck. And so all of a sudden you become really unlucky when it comes to the mechanical capabilities of a bus that you're on or a traffic jam right. or, a you know, I love that as mm -hmm. like time is ascension being trying to keep things in order, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's like it's the definitely the biggest villain of the, <laughs> right, yeah, of yeah. the book, and it makes me think of I don't know if you've watched the Final Destination film. I, I saw the first like one. Death yeah, the, yeah, like death is is the sentient thing that like can um, make everything like you were supposed to die, so now it's doing everything it can, and it's kind of like that. It's like no, yeah. this is the way the world was supposed to yeah. work. So yeah, I love it. <laughs> it's great, um, and and you know when you talk about how the world is supposed to work. Right. There's a way it's supposed to work and a yeah. way it's not supposed to work. Stephen King explores the way it's not supposed to work. And one of the ways it's not supposed <laughs> to work is by things coming back to life. Pet Cemetery, as we sure. talked about early on, yeah. uh, was a book I read probably too early, but I love it. I can remember not only uh, in the movie, but in the book, the last couple, I'm not going to say what they are, but the last couple lines in the book have stuck with me to this day. I can quote them. Um, uh, but this is interesting. It's yes. about, you know, it's about going to uh, a pet cemetery that's actually an ancient alien, uh, alien, ancient Indian burial ground. And, you know, things can yeah. come back to life, but the ground is tainted and, and poisoned. And even in the book, I think you mentioned, I think I've heard in another interview that you did that um, you guys talk about the Wendigo. Um, but I think mm -hmm. that that is briefly mentioned in the book. And I don't think it gets a lot of attention mm -hmm. as being in the book. But to me, that was a really interesting aspect that he kind of snuck in there that gives it that, you know, that connection to to reality and real folklore yeah i mean i think that there is this trope of like an indian burial ground we've seen mm -hmm. it um in you know even the shining um and i think just the film and uh poltergeist etc but yeah i think the windigo kind of grounds it and kind of gives us that more even more supernatural feeling mm -hmm. um but what i love is grief is something that he touches on a lot in a lot of his books mm -hmm. and it also kind of goes back to selling your soul mm -hmm. um right. because of what uh, he ultimately does to 
you know, try to get life back as it once was and what he's willing to risk to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's like, you can take, you can take all these big ideas and you can kind of see where Stephen King's brain goes and like these, these concepts that he's kind of always mulling over. Mm -hmm. Cause when he wrote Pet Cemetery, he's thinking about his, his kids dying, Mm -hmm. right? When he wrote Lisey's story, he's thinking about himself or his wife dying. And so, um, it's kind of, it all kind of comes together and he does it in this great horror package that, that it's all the heart, all the emotion is there, but then, but then there's this great grisly stuff happening <laughs> that makes it all. <laughs> well, there's, there's, cause the grisly stuff involves the reanimation of dead corpses. Right. And this has been a strange yeah. fascination in human right. history, you know, I mean, you, you talk about it, yeah. uh, you know, it starts with life in water um, and, you know, can we somehow inject that life that's in the water, uh, massaging yep. people, electricity, you know, famous Mary Shelley's Frankenstein yep. uh, that comes at a time when electricity yep. was still this kind of unknown power. And what could it do? We learned that, you know, really, in truth, our bodies are just electrochemical uh, creations. I mean, we mm-hmm. can you can adjust your brain yeah. chemistry and do all kinds of wacky stuff, um, you know, as we mentioned with isolation and cabin fever. Uh, And so there's a lot that goes into that reanimation process. And I imagine, you know, your husband, not only is he a physician, but he's taking yeast (laughs) and turning it into, into beer, uh, which is a form of reanimation because they're probably dry. Um, So I imagine there's a lot you had to to go into this. Yes. Yeah. There is so much science. There's a lot of goofy science, Mm -hmm. like, um, like you so kindly was, you were saying like, oh, it's kind of interesting to see how scientific thought is yep. gone. Um, there are people like literally um, trying to just, uh, they would take dead dogs and they would um, use like bellows to kind of put air um, in them yeah. and kind of hoping that would work. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of experiments that have gone yeah. on. Um, but again, it's this human nature of, that's the one thing we haven't figured mm-hmm. out yet is how to like live forever or not age. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think that will ever um, stop being a fascination for everyone. How can we stop death? How can we, you know, we can control pretty much everything. We figured it out, um, but we can't stop or control death. So, yeah, whether in film and in books, it's been around for thousands, millions of years. How can we not die. Well, I will say, I think, you know, the axolotl in, I think I'm saying that correctly, in Mexico has incredible regenerative mm-hmm. powers. I don't know that it can live forever, mm-hmm. but it has incredible regenerative yeah. powers. I think there's a worm that can technically live forever. Mm-hmm. And I just saw an article oh, yesterday. Yeah. I haven't read it yet, but I'll put it up on the website uh, if it's worth putting up. Yeah. If it's garbage, I won't. Uh, but that there is, <laughs> they've just found an animal that, that can live forever. And it's really, you know, aging is a process of where basically the telomeres on the end of your, your chromosome just become really short Mm -hmm. and there's ways to keep them elongated. You know, as they get shorter, your cells become Mm -hmm. more fragile and break down sooner. But if you can even just keep those in a form of stasis an equilibrium where they're not getting any shorter, you can just harness the age that we're at. You know, so I have to get younger, but, um, I mean, you make it sound really easy. You should listen to fascinating gadgets, gizmos, gear based technologies, our podcast (laughs) where science becomes super easy. Yeah. Let me know if you, if you figure it out, cause, uh, I'll go into business. Oh, with you. oh we figured if, it out. Oh, yeah, okay. we figured it out. Uh, no, I don't make it sound easy, but there it's, it's it, the, the, the ways that we age, it's easy to understand what happens, right? Stopping that 
the natural process because it's mm-hmm. not the way, you know, we just talked about time having its own consciousness basically in, in, in 112263. Yeah. But in a lot of ways, nature, yeah. you know, the idea that nature, the natural force has its own power, right? There's there, the evolution occurs in a very specific way. Our bodies are, everything is created in a specific way, tailored to its environment, perfectly tailored to its environment. And there's a beauty in that. Yep. And, you know, in some ways, if you're going to say that, that there is a God or, or a spirit or, or a ruler, that to me is it's the natural force that guides everything. Yeah. Is that a man sitting on a cloud? No, but it's there's something there. Um, and and the oh, people yeah. who knew it were the indigenous peoples of America. And I love to put a button on Pet Cemetery to bring it back here. I love the exploration of Native American magic, which includes, you know, yeah. one of my uh, I talked to to uh, two uh, the Navajo Rangers who look at who looked at supernatural things on the Navajo Nation. And they talk one thing about is the mm-hmm. skinwalker, which there's not a lot yeah. of interest in Native American magic. But from a story standpoint, I want to get your thought on this as a fiction writer. Okay. It's, there's a huge well here of really interesting stories. Some of it could be used for horror. There is. And that is so true. Um, and there are some great indigenous writers mm-hmm. out there. Um, Shane Hawk um, is a great indigenous writer who he wrote a short story collection called Anoka. And he gets into a lot of these um, monsters. I think it's one of those things where it's not my story to tell. But I think there are just... Yeah, that there's a lot that hasn't been, you know, we, we've seen vampires, we've seen zombies, let's see what else is yeah. out there. And uh, I know as a horror writer, that's what I'm always looking for. So right, yeah. So, yeah. Something yeah. new, something mm-hmm. interesting. Totally agree. But, uh, but anyway, I think that there's there's a great stuff here. You've got a whole series of books. So how can people get in touch with you uh, if they want to find your books, find you and, you and Kelly, um, all of your collaborations? Where can they find you? Sure. So I have my own website, meghoffdahl.com. There's kellyflorence.com. We have horrorrewind.com for our podcasts and our books are available, uh, you know, pretty much everywhere. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you buy your books. Um, My fiction books aren't as widely dispersed, so you have to come find me. Um, They're on Amazon, of course. Everything is. But uh, yeah. And also I'm on all the social media, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook. Facebook. I'm usually at Meg Hoffdahl. So usually, yeah. does it does it shift? Does your uh... on 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 TikTok? I'm Meg loves horror. <laughs> oh, all right, fair enough. Everyone else is Meg Hoffdahl, though. That's the uh, okay. yeah, all yeah. Right, fair enough. And of course, if you like this show, you can find Fascinating Nouns on YouTube. We're on Fa- uh, Fascinating Noun on Twitter. Uh, fascinating nouns on Facebook. I don't do TikTok because it's run by the Chinese, Meg. Um, I don't want to be. I don't want to be watched by a by a, an adversary. Oh uh, you say, "Oh my!" They're going to come for you, and you're going to be you're going to be part of fiction. You're going to be part of a horror novel when they come and find oh. you. No, they love me. I use TikTok. Uh, well, I guess that's true. Um, you might be welcomed with open arms in, in, into yeah. the uh, into the Chinese Communist Revolution. Uh, so I want to thank you so much. This has been so much fun. Uh, a great series of books. Thank I love you. Stephen King. I love listening to a fellow Stephen King fan. Um, so thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, thank you. This is a pleasure. I had so much fun. Thank you. I'll, I'll come back anytime. Oh, absolutely. We'll get some more <laughs> science stuff. I mean, this is... All right. Yeah, absolutely. Our, our next our next book is Science of Witchcraft coming out this September 6th. Oh, I love so. that. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, I, we'll, we'll have you back. We'll talk about the Science of Witchcraft, which is right up our alley. Um, but until then, I want to thank you and I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night. Fascinating Nouns is a Glen Co. production and is hosted and produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The show producer for this episode was Sarah Brandt. 
The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and E.A. Barrientos with music and sound design written and performed by E.A. Barrientos. And I'm guessing after listening to this, you never want to miss another episode. You're going to want to subscribe. We are on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. and We even have links right there on our show website, which is fascinatingnouns.com. You can find all the links right there. And let's say you don't have a favorite podcasting platform. That's no problem. You can listen to every episode right there on the website, which is once again, fascinatingnouns.com. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter. It's a great way to learn more about the episodes that you're listening to, find out about upcoming episodes, and to just keep in touch with the community. It's right there on the website. Speaking of community, there's no better way to stay in touch than on social media. And you can find links to our show's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube pages right there on the front page of FascinatingNouns.com. And speaking of YouTube, there's a video version of this episode there right now, uh, as well as other past episodes and all future episodes. It's going to be right there, youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. It's a great way to see all the guests and, uh, you know, check it out live and in person. Feel like you're there in studio. Great way to do it, youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And finally, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to DanielJGlenn.com and check out all of my projects and see what's going on. Once again, thank you for listening. End of transmission.